good morning, everyone. How are you guys doing? Good, good, good to see you guys. I don't know about you, but when I watch that video, I'm like, oh, I can do that. Yes, I can. That's what I look like when I run, except I don't look anything like that when I run. So it's not what I look like. But I don't know about you, but when I watch those videos, I get so excited and encouraged. And um, I hope that you enjoy them as much as I enjoy watching them and getting encouraged about them. Can you believe that summer is already like half over? We just celebrated 4th of July, which is crazy. I know, it's going by so fast. I don't know about you guys, but we, our family has had a very busy summer. Lots of things going on, and um, I'm just kind of like, whoa. <laughs> it's going by really fast. But speaking of busy summers, we have a lot of activities going on here at Crosstown, too, and I want to tell you about those. But before I do, just real quick, in case you are visiting with us and maybe you don't know who I am, I just want to introduce myself quickly. My name is Stacy McLean, and my husband, Chris, and I serve um, as elders here at Crosstown. I also get to be a part of the teaching team, and I'm just thrilled to be with you guys this morning and sharing with you some of the activities that we've got coming up. So there's a lot going on, and if you haven't done anything beyond Sunday morning with us, you're probably like, man, what's all, what's with all the stuff that's going on? But our whole purpose is we are striving to become lovers, learners, and leaders in our relationship with Jesus Christ in the world around us. And we have learned through experience that the way that we do that is through community outreach, through connecting in small groups, through moving beyond Sunday morning. And so we have lots of opportunities for you to to participate beyond Sunday morning. Sunday morning is a great place to start, but it is not where real life and real connections are going to happen. And so um, this Friday night, we've got our movie night going on. It's a family movie night. And when you hear me say that, if you're someone who's like, well, I'm single, I don't have any family here in town. When we say family at Crosstown, we mean the family of Crosstown. So whether you have a family here or not, we want to be your family. And so we're having a family movie night this Friday night. We're going to roll out the sweet, soft grass. There'll be a projector over there showing the movie. There'll be popcorn and just a fun evening. So we encourage you, bring neighbors, bring someone. It's going to be inside. It won't be hot. We don't have to cancel if it rains. So family movie night is this Friday night. Then a week from today is our 3L small group leader lunching. If you are interested in possibly leading a small group, if it's even crossed your mind remotely that you might want to do that, we invite you for a free lunch. Uh, next Sunday, immediately after second service, Service. Come join us. You'll get to meet Suzanne Kuba, who is our small group coordinator and our mission outreach coordinator. Uh, she will be telling you a little bit more about the vision of small groups, feeding you some good mo's. So we encourage you right after second service next Sunday. Also, starting Thursday, July 18th, we will be doing our Summer Unbound session. So it's a Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Thursday night, Friday night, and Saturday morning. This is the Unbound session that we do uh, during the year, but it's kind of a more condensed. If you don't have the time during the year to do it uh, once a week for the six or seven weeks they do it, they offer this summer session. If you have never participated in Unbound, I encourage you to come and be a part of this ministry. It's a ministry that not only has impacted our local body here, our family, but people drive from all over just to experience the Unbound ministry. And Ben Acree, who leads that, has also had the opportunity to take 
take Unbound around the world. He's taken it over to India several times to share this. And the freedom, it's all about having freedom in Christ, which goes really well with what we're going to be talking about today. So I encourage you to check that out. We also have Baptism Sunday coming up, Sunday, July 21st. If you are interested in participating in baptism, we would love to have that conversation with you. So please let us know. That's what this I Have Decided banner is over here. That's, and underneath that, that's where we do our baptism. And so if you've ever wondered, by the way, what that is, because you haven't been here on a Baptism Sunday, that's what that's all about. Um, so we encourage you to, to be a part of that. And then last but not least, we are starting our Bear Foundation book bag drive. We've done this for several years in a row. This year, we are asking you to take a name of a child. They'll be at the back. Suzanne Kuba will be back there after service. Um, I think we have a few names left, but you might want to get there quick because they go fast. We had 44 kids, and I think we have about 14 or 15 um, names left. But basically, we're asking you to partner with us and with Bear Foundation. You'll get a name tag and you'll go buy a book bag and fill it with school supplies and bring it back. And you may think that's not really that big of a deal. You know, I'm going to get a book bag, fill it up with supplies. But I will tell you, I've encountered the children who've received the book bags and it makes a big difference for them and the families. Bear Foundation sponsors the families that do foster care. So maybe foster care has been on your heart, but maybe not something where you're like, yeah, I'm ready to have um, that in my home yet. Like, I'm ready to really do that. This is a way that you can support the foster care community right here in Charleston by supporting the families who do open their homes to have these children come in. So I encourage you to grab a name, buy a book bag, fill it up with school supplies, and bring it back to us, and we'll get that over to the Bear Foundation. So there is a lot going on, a lot of ways for us to connect and get involved. We're right in the middle of our summer series, and this series is called um, Our Second Wind, Catching Your Second Wind, and we've been using the analogy of running because Scripture talks about running a lot, and the idea of running, we see that throughout Scripture, but this idea of catching your second wind is, um, you know, being re-energized, and so as we're looking at this, we're going to be looking in 2 Corinthians the whole summer, so if you've got your Bibles, that's where we'll be um, in just a few minutes. But 2 Corinthians, the letter um, that we're reading in 2 Corinthians that the Apostle Paul wrote was to help the people in that church to be re-energized, to kind of renew their faith and to re-establish, to catch their second wind. And last week, if you were here for our Family Fun Day, you heard Pastor Paul talking to us and sharing a message with us out of 2 Corinthians 1 that talked about comfort. And he reminded us that we are supposed to receive comfort from God so that we can then give that comfort to others. And I don't know about you, but it was really um, profound to hear that message and to hear him say that, you know, if we don't receive comfort from God, we're being selfish. Ouch. I just thought I was being self-reliant. I'd rather call myself self-reliant than selfish. Self-reliance is not going to get me very far in my walk with God. Um, I need to rely on the only one who can save me, which is Jesus Christ. And, and Pastor Paul reminded us last week that not only are we supposed to receive that comfort from God, but then through that comfort we have received, that's the way we are to comfort others. And so if you didn't get a chance to listen to that, I encourage you to go back and check out the podcast or listen to it through our app. So we're going to continue in this idea of looking at this uh, letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. And he was basically writing to the church. He had established the church. He'd given them the good news of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ, um, you know, 
died on the cross, that he rose again, and it's through Christ alone that we are saved. But what had happened is once the Apostle Paul left, other people had come in and started teaching something else, trying to distract these people, get them off task, get them off focus of what the Apostle Paul was telling them, which is the truth that Jesus Christ is the one who has saved them. And so one of the points of his letter was to encourage them and to remind them, hey, look, It feels like you're in this faith journey thing and you've hit a wall. But what I want to do is encourage you and re-energize you. I want to remind you to shift your focus back to Jesus Christ, back to the gospel, back to the good news. And so that's one of the reasons we really chose 2 Corinthians is because we want to, by God's wisdom and his spirit, we want to use this summer as a time to re-energize our faith amid conflict, failure, adversity, compromise, opposition that's going to come. See, a lot of that is already happening in our world. We, we're faced with opposition every day. If you call yourself a Christian, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you are going to face opposition in your workplace, in your neighborhood. It's coming against us. And so By God's wisdom and his spirit, we want to use this summer to be intentional about re-energizing our faith so that we can catch our second wind. This idea of catching our second wind is a phenomenon known in the running world. And I'm going to stand up here and act like I know. I really don't know much about running. I do like to do it sometimes. Um, But in, in the running world, there's this idea of catching your second wind, and different people think differently about it. But one of the things that a lot of researchers agree is that it has to do with your mental disposition. And people who are able to kind of get that runner's high or catch their second wind in running usually have a good mental disposition. So that's where we're going to start this morning. I want us to think about where we are today in our mind and in our thoughts about ourselves. Not about the person sitting to your right or the person sitting to your left, but what are the thoughts that you've had about yourself this morning? Have you had good thoughts about yourself this morning? Or have you been beating yourself up this morning? Or over the last week? So I'm going to encourage you to begin right thinking, our mental disposition, so that we can be thinking rightly about who God says that we are. Because the truth is, the message that I'm going to give to you today, the message that God has created um, and crafted over the last week for me to deliver to you today is going to be a very easy message to hear. It's going to be super easy for you guys to hear this message. The hard part's going to become when you leave trying to live in this message. That's where the challenge is going to happen for you and for me. And I know that because I've been preparing this message this week. I've been reading and praying. And as I've been in preparation, my first thought was, man, Pastor Paul must really like me because he gave me a super easy message. But then as I began allowing the message to soak in and sink in, I realized that the challenge is living it out every day, being able to focus on what we're going to be talking about today, which is the grace of God. And so um, this idea of catching our second wind, after we have this good mental disposition, so after we've, okay, we're going to put away all negative thoughts. I'm not saying you got to sit here and think that you're the most fabulous person in the world. All I'm asking is for the next 25 to 30 minutes, Just don't beat yourself up mentally. 
okay? That's all I'm asking. Just take a break from beating yourself up mentally and listen to the grace that God wants to share with us. Because this idea of catching your second wind, a lot of researchers say that what happens is when you're out running and you hit a wall, you know, you, whether, you're run, whether you're a runner or not, maybe it's a, you know, just your job every day, or maybe it's your marriage, or maybe it's a friendship where you're just like, I am absolutely worn out. I've hit a wall. I can't go any further in this relationship, in this situation. What happens is we just get worn out. And runners hit that wall, and the way that they catch their second wind is something switches in their body. They no longer focus on expelling carbon dioxide, which is what you do when you're running, but the body shifts its focus on inhaling oxygen. And I thought, man, that is so true for us in our faith walk. If we think about our faith journey as a race, and we're running this race, we need to not focus on expelling the carbon dioxide, but we need to begin focusing on inhaling oxygen, the very breath of life, the spirit of God. That's what we need to focus on. But too often, we focus more on eliminating failures and bad habits than on Jesus. That's where most of us will spend our focus, is eliminating failures and bad habits rather than putting our focus on Jesus Christ. Because as we're going to see today, that's where our focus has to be. And that will help us catch our second wind. So um, last week, Pastor Paul shared with us our theme verse, and we'll read it every week during this series. And I want you to listen to this verse. It comes out of 2 Corinthians 4. It starts in verse 16. And as I'm reading this, I want you to hear the beginning phrase of what the Apostle Paul is telling the church at Corinth. He's, he's trying to encourage them to re-energize their faith because opposition has come. And they have been told something that's contrary to the truth of God's word. And so he's trying to remind them, look, you need to catch your second wind. You need to change your focus. Listen to what he says. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And when he talks about that light momentary affliction here in chapter 4, he's already told us earlier in the letter, in the very beginning of the letter, he said, I have been afflicted so severely that I thought I had been given the death sentence. And now three chapters later, he's saying this light and momentary affliction. He's not just saying, I went to Bojangles and they ran out of honey mustard sauce. I mean, that's a light and momentary affliction, right? He's saying, no, I felt like I had been given a death sentence and now compared to what is coming, it's light and momentary. He goes on to say, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Again, he's reminding them, what are you looking at? What's your focus? Where are your eyes? So we have to ask ourselves, what are we looking at? Where are we putting our focus? Have we hit a wall because we just we can't measure up? We feel like we're never going to get it right. We're going to mess up all the time, so why even keep trying? Is that where our focus is? Is our focus on behavior modification, trying to change our behavior so that God will be pleased with us? Guess what? You want to know what pleases God? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. That means trust. Trust God. 
trust that he knows better than we know. That's how you please God, not by behavior modification. That's not going to please him. Scripture is very clear that it's our faith, our trust, our hope in him is what pleases God. So we have to ask ourselves, what are we putting our eyes on? Are we looking to the things that are seen, the circumstances around us, the bank account, the diagnosis from the doctor, the marriage situation, the job situation? Are we looking to the things that are unseen? Are we looking to who God has called us to be and who he says that we are? Colossians tells us to keep our eyes on the things above. But I don't know if you're like me. It's hard to see the things you can't see. Isn't it hard? It's hard to keep your focus on who God says we are, who he's called us to be. Because what I get bombarded with every morning when I wake up are all the things that I can see. I cannot stand clutter in my house. But I wake up in the morning and guess what the first thing I see is? A cluttered nightstand, a cluttered dresser, a cluttered floor, a cluttered closet. And so, of course, my natural inclination is going to be to focus on all of the clutter in our lives. And we are being challenged to put our eyes on something greater than us, on the things that are unseen. And so we are using another verse out of Hebrews 12. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews is telling them. So the writer of Hebrews is telling these people, he's saying, look, I know that Jesus Christ is the exact representation of God. That's what it says in Hebrews 1, that Jesus Christ is the exact representation of God. He is God. He displays the glory of God. And because of that, because Jesus Christ is the exact representation of God, we should put our eyes on Jesus. And this is why. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. The joy that was set before him. So when he looked to the cross, he endured it because he knew what was to come. He wasn't looking at the what was seen, what was right in front of him. He was looking at the unseen, the eternal. So he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That idea of him despising the shame, we're going to get into that in a few minutes, but I really want you to think about that, that that is what Jesus did for us. And when we run this race, we have to have endurance, and our eyes must stay on Jesus. If our eyes shift focus to anything else other than Jesus, we are going to become overwhelmed and we are going to hit the wall every single time. And it's going to happen to us. Every single one of us are going to experience that. So let's take a look at how the Apostle Paul is encouraging the church at Corinth. What is he saying to them? See, he's been writing to them and he's saying, look, I am telling you that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. He has accomplished our salvation on the cross. Just believe me. I've testified to it. It is true. And we are going to be able to boast with one another. We are going to be seated in glory together. And we're going to get to talk about this. And we're going to get to celebrate. But right now, I know things are tough. So I want you to shift your focus. But because I am so sure of Jesus Christ... Because I am so sure of what Jesus Christ has accomplished, this is what the Apostle Paul says. Because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. 
See, the Apostle Paul is saying, I want to help you catch your second wind. I want you to receive the spiritual blessings. I want you to feel the peace that God has towards you. So many of us strive for peace with God. And the reality is, if we are in Christ, we have peace with God. It's just our perception that's messed up. And he said, I want to come to you and I want you to experience the second experience of grace. As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. Who doesn't love to hear a yes? I told you it's going to be an easy message to hear, a hard message to live out. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So where does our hope come from? Does it come from us being a better version of ourselves? No. There is no better version of myself that I can offer to anyone. Because guess what? If I work real hard on trying to be a better me and being the best me I can be, I'm going to hit a wall every single time because, I, frankly, I'm just not that good. I'm going to get fatigued. I'm going to get worn out because I just, that's the reality of where I am. It's the reality of where we are. But so often we put our focus on trying to be a better version of ourselves when in reality... Our focus needs to be on Jesus Christ. Our focus needs to be on who he is and what he has accomplished on our behalf because I will never be able to accomplish my salvation, ever. It is only through giving in to Jesus Christ. Verse 20 says to us, For all the promises of God find their yes in him. All the promises of God find their yes in Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, the psalmist tells us in Psalm 119.50, he says, This is my comfort in my affliction, that your promise gives me life. See, I think for a lot of us, we make promises to God. God, I promise, I promise, God, if you get me out of this situation, I'll never do it again. God, I promise if you get me home safe tonight, I'll never drink again. God, I promise if you will just help my child with this, I'll never yell at him, cuss at him, scream at him again. We're walking around trying to make promises to God when all he wants us to do is receive the promise of his son, Jesus Christ. See, my promises to God are not what saves me. It's his promise through his son, Jesus Christ, that has set me free. But so often we work really hard on establishing ourselves. Have you ever had that time happen in life where you've just really made a mess of things? You know, and maybe some of us have made bigger messes than others. It doesn't matter. We're not going to compare. It doesn't matter if your mess is 10 feet tall and my mess is 100 feet tall. All of us have made messes in our lives at times. And so often we try to reestablish ourselves. We try to make a name for ourselves. We say, you know what? No, I know I got fired from that job, but I'm going back to school and I'm going to finish my degree and I'm going to go back and I'm going to be successful because I'm going to establish myself. And the reality is, it is God who establishes us in Christ Jesus. If we are his children, it is God who has done it through his son, Jesus Christ. He orchestrated the whole thing, and that's the way he chose to do it. And it's unbelievable to us. It would be easier for us to say, well, no, if I make these promises and I do this, guess what? 
That's what the Israelites thought. It didn't work out so well for them. God gave them the law, and they couldn't keep it. And guess what? We don't sit under that. We sit under the grace of Jesus Christ today. We sit under the everlasting covenant that was given to us through Jesus Christ and his blood that was shed for us. And again, I'm not saying don't try to, you know, be better, right? You, yeah, we're supposed to be better. No, if our main focus is fixing our behavior, if our main focus is not to sin, then we're missing the mark. Yes, we are called to live a life worthy. That's that Scripture tells me. I'm, I'm called to live a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm supposed to work that out, walk that out daily. But you know the first way I can do that? Trust God. Trust God for his forgiveness, his grace, and his mercy. That's how I live a life worthy of the calling that God has placed on my life. That's how you would live a life worthy, by trusting the accomplished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. But so often, we work on trying to make accomplishments, make a name for ourselves. But the truth is, if we put our eyes back on Jesus, and we begin to focus on breathing in oxygen, inhaling the grace of God, that's when we're going to catch our second wind. You know, I think it's interesting that the Holy Spirit is known as the pneuma or the breath of God. Because God's saying, look, I am giving you my Holy Spirit. What we just read in 2 Corinthians says that he has put his Holy Spirit in us as a guarantee. He's established us in Christ through his Holy Spirit. Listen to what verse 21 says. It says, I'm going to read it to you again because I really think, again, we need to get this in the very fiber of our beings. It is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. See, it's easy for you to hear that scripture and think that is true for everybody else in this room. But what I want to encourage you to do is hear that scripture spoken over you by your Father in heaven who loves you. Because the truth is, if you are in Christ, if you have committed your life to Christ, do I mean that you don't ever sin? No. I just mean if you at one time got to a desperate situation, fell to your knees and said, God, I can't do this anymore. It is only through your son, Jesus Christ. Then you know what he said? He's promised that he has anointed you that he has called you, and that he has placed his Holy Spirit inside of you. The Spirit of God that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is the same Spirit that reigns in our bodies. He has made us heirs and co-heirs with Christ. And I know, because I've grown up in the church, and I've heard this, and I can quote those scriptures to you, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus until I do something wrong, until I mess up. And then I feel embarrassed, I feel shame, I feel guilt, and I want to fix it. And the only way I can fix it is to put my eyes on Jesus and run straight into his arms and say, God, forgive me. And immediately forgiveness comes. Uh, several years ago, people thought, I, my friends may have thought I was crazy. But during Lent, I really felt like God told me that I needed to keep a journal of things that I did, like, you know, the bad things that I did, sin, just write it down in a journal. Um, and I was like, okay, I'll start doing that. And do you know what happened when I started writing some stuff down that I was doing? Immediately forgiven. I couldn't even get the sentence out in my journal before I heard the voice of God say, it's forgiven, that it's forgiven, it's forgiven, it's forgiven. And then go mark it out in black. 
Mark it out. It's done. It's forgiven. See, we hide our sin. We hide those things that we do wrong, our failures, our compromises, because we don't understand how good his grace is. It's radical. It's radical. It's like nothing we've ever experienced. And if you have been set free from that, and you know that, you understand what I'm talking about, how radical his grace is. But see, if you're like me, you get caught up in the cycle of, I just, I just wish I wasn't sinning so much. I, just, I really wish I would not yell at my kids and tell them that they're really making me lose my mind. Okay, I, I clean that up a lot for you guys. That's not exactly, ask my kids after service. It's, it gets a little bit nastier in our house. And so I'll focus on trying to be a better mom, trying to be kinder. Every year our family has a different word, and we try to focus on that word that year. And all of those are wonderful things. But if we take our eyes off of Jesus, then it ain't going to mean anything at the end of the day. This year our word is generosity and One of the things that, um, as I was studying the idea of generosity, God showed me clearly, as soon as January hit and we started looking at generosity, he was like, you can only be generous because I'm generous to you. So receive my generosity to give my generosity. In all that we're doing, our eyes have to be put back on him. So you have to ask yourself, where is your focus? What are your eyes fixed on? And it's hard to shift our focus off of the things that we're doing wrong. But I'm here to encourage you this morning. If you will let go of that, God will take care of it. You've got to put your eyes on Jesus. Chase after him. Chase after Jesus. Put your eyes on him because he is the founder and perfecter of our faith. And like we learned in Hebrews, he already ran the race. He already endured the cross and he despised the shame. See, shame will get us every time. Shame is not something new. Shame has been around since the beginning of time. Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve ate of the fruit of the tree, what did they do? They hid themselves. And that's what we do because shame calls us to hide. And what did God do? God went after them and he said, where are you? He didn't ask them, where are you? Because he didn't know where they were. He clearly knew where they were, but he wanted to show them like he wants to show us. He will chase us down. He loves us. He will come after us, especially if you are his child. If you are his child, he's going to leave the 99 and he's going to come after you, just like he did with Adam and Eve. But that shame that they felt, that that acknowledgement that they had done something wrong, the failure caused them to hide. And so many of us are hiding in shame. And I am here to say to you this morning, if you are sitting in shame of unbelief, of a failure, of a compromise, whatever the shame is that you carry this morning, the best thing you can do is take it to your father. Take it to God and tell him. Because once you bring it out, he will show you that his son, Jesus Christ, took that shame for us. See, Jesus was crucified on a cross. That type of death was the most shameful death that anyone could experience in that time period. Because what they did was they stripped him down completely. They spit on him. They beat him. They publicly humiliated him. And he took all of that for you and for me. So why do we keep carrying the shame? Jesus endured it for us so we don't have to. We get to sit in the grace and the mercy and the goodness of God. God could have sent Jesus at any time to die any kind of death. It required a blood sacrifice that a perfect Jesus gave for us. But he also took the shame so we don't have to. 
Don't allow your past mistakes and your failures and your compromises to heap shame upon you that Jesus has already taken. We need to learn how to exhale shame and inhale grace. We've got to begin to exhale that shame. Let go of it. It's actually just pride that you're carrying it around because you think if you beat yourself up enough and that you deprive yourself of enough and you mess up, you know, and you hurt yourself and you just get so upset that, that well, maybe I can just get God to love me. The truth is God loves you and he will always love you. And it's not about what you've done. It's about who he is. So we need to really work on exhaling that shame, letting go of the shame and inhaling the grace of God. That's when our lives will be transformed. That's when the people around us will see a difference. When we begin exhaling the shame, letting go, yeah, I messed up. Yeah, I had a compromise in my life. I I committed this failure. I walked out. I lost my temper. I did this. I did that. When we let go of that and we receive the grace of God, that's when the renewing comes. That's when we're catching our second wind. That's when we can focus on the power that has been given to us through the Spirit of God. Look at what um, the Apostle Paul writes. He's writing a letter to Titus, his beloved brother in Christ. And he's telling Titus, he's like, look, I want to remind you again about where your salvation comes from, where your identity comes from. This is where it comes from, nothing else. Listen to Titus 3, verses 4 through 6. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared... He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. See, shame drives us to hide. Grace leads us to renewal. Shame is going to drive us to hide every single time, but grace is going to lead us to be renewed, to catch our second wind. If you have hit a wall because of betrayal, compromise, opposition, failure, you name it, if you are sitting in this room and you are worn out, Inhale the grace of God today. Take in the grace of God. Again, I told you this message is easy to hear. But where it's going to become a challenge is when you walk out the door and you make that mistake. I want you to remind yourself, no, I'm going to exhale that shame and I'm going to inhale the grace of God. And to help you in that, because if you're like me, I need something practical. Like it's great to hear this message, but I need something in my hand. I need something I can do to continue believing who God says he is. See, God is faithful even when we are not. So many of us are like, well, I'm a failure anyway, so what does it matter? That is a lie. And then some of us say things like, well, I'm just a sinner saved. I mean, you know, I'm a sinner saved by grace. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're not a sinner saved by grace. Scripture says you're a saint. That's what Scripture calls us. If we are in Christ, we are saints. I don't feel like a saint a lot of times. I don't feel anointed. I don't feel sealed. I don't feel empowered by the Holy Spirit because my eyes are on the wrong thing. Because I focus on the things that are before me instead of the grace of God. I've never seen the grace of God physically, but I have experienced it. And it does re-energize. And it will re-energize. And so we've got for you 
If you've got our app, I encourage you to download our app if you don't have it, um, because in the sermon notes today, at the end, there are about eight different verses, and these verses just came throughout the week as I was preparing the message. I began praying and saying, God, we're your people, and we want to hear what you have to say to us, so what do you want to say to us about this? What do you want us to be reminded of? What is it that we don't believe? Because in some of the scripture, it says, this statement is trustworthy. You can believe it. And so he just kind of led me to these verses. And I want to encourage you, read these verses this week. Talk about these verses with God this week. Say, God, your word here tells me there's no condemnation if I am in Christ. God, help me feel that. Remove the shame that I feel, the guilt that I feel, the anxiety, the depression, the need to be perfect. Take that from me, God. One of the verses talks about having peace with God. And I think that's a huge idea. God, show me that I have peace with you, that I don't have to strive for it, that you have come so that I can be at peace with you. I can be reconciled to you through your son, Jesus Christ. So we're about to move into expressions. And this is a time for us to respond to what God's been saying to us. Maybe you're new to all this. Maybe you have never professed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you're just kind of exp- exploring this whole Christianity thing. And you've heard you know, that you're going to go to hell for this. And you're going to go to hell for that. And you're going to burn for this. Let me tell you. Jesus Christ wants to set you free. And so if you have never, ever proclaimed him as your savior, he wants to set you free. And it's not about saving you from hell. It is about living a life abundantly more than you can imagine. That's what he wants to do. He wants to set you free. So I encourage you, if you've not made that decision, our pastors and elders will be at the back. They would love to pray with you. If you have something else heavy on your heart, these men and women back here, They are true prayer warriors, and they want to pray with you. Maybe for you, you're that person who just keeps making those promises to God. God, I promise I won't do it again. I want you to write that promise that you've made to him and that you have broken. I want you to nail it to the cross and receive the promise of Jesus Christ because all the promises of God are yes in Jesus Christ. That is where the real promise comes from. Or maybe for you today, you need to be reminded of the body and blood that was shed. So we invite you to come and take communion. And as you see, those who are handing out communion have shoals on that say grace and peace know that wherever you are it doesn't matter who you are where you are and where you come from what you are meeting today is grace and peace God wants to offer grace he wants to offer peace to every single one of us receive his grace today Whatever you do, respond to God. Maybe for you during this moment of expression, maybe it's the first time that during this song, you hear these lyrics and they're not just words that are spoken, but they become real to you, that you take them in, that they penetrate your heart and that you praise God for his goodness and his mercy. Father, we love you and we thank you. We praise you because you are a God who has good intentions towards us. Father, you're not up there making a list of all the things that we've done wrong and all the things we've done right and trying to weigh it out. That you are a God who through your kind intentions gave us your son and allowed him to take the shame and the sin. Father, we thank you for that and we praise you. We receive your grace and mercy in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.